listening to From the Top, where outstanding young musicians come to play. I'm your host, pianist Peter Dugan. That was 18-year-old Jamie Park on the double bass performing Reinhold Glier's Scherzo, Opus 32, Number 2, with Nathaniel Jeffrey Canfield at the piano. We have a great group of young musicians for you today. They are all, in their own way, challenging the conventions of our classical music establishment, and even challenging the limits of what one person should be able to do. For example, you're going to meet an 18-year-old from Florida who loves the euphonium so much that he's determined to make it a household name. And the young clarinetist from Seattle who's been waking up at 4 a.m. to meet with teens from around the world to discuss the perils of climate change. But first, let's meet Jamie Park, who opened our show just a moment ago with that beautiful Glier. She may be small in stature, but she's making a big impact in the double bass community. Jamie, that was gorgeous. I think you've gotten even more masterful on the bass compared to even last year when I heard you. You brought out all the playfulness of that piece, and also you know how to make the bass sing. Thank you so much. You and I met last summer when you were studying at the Honeywell Arts Academy, where I'm on the faculty, and we got to play together then, and I was so impressed with your musicianship. Thank you. I'm guessing that as a bassist, you've had people make all sorts of remarks when they see you with this instrument. Any particular memories of wild things people have said to you seeing you with the bass? Yeah, so one time I was at the airport with my bass in a gigantic flight case. It was probably like 100 pounds altogether, and I was wheeling it around the airport, and a little kid running past me said, oh, it's a car. (laughs) Oh, man. So why the double bass? Why did you choose this instrument? I started playing the double bass when I was four years old. When I walked into the local music settlement, and I was listening to the violin, the cello, and the viola, I think something that stuck out to four-year-old me was how big the bass was, how different (laughs) of a sound it made. And I think I just wanted to be special. So I chose something that was really unexpected. Jamie, our listeners on the radio can't see you, but certainly you're on the petite side, and yet you're playing this massive instrument in a culture which is largely male-dominated, the bass world. I'm wondering if you can speak to your experience with that and also what you think might be able to help improve this culture. Yeah, I think when people usually see me and they know I play music, the first instruments that come to their mind would probably be flute or violin or something easy to carry around. But once people find out that I play bass, they're just really surprised. In orchestras, the role of the bass is to provide a solid backbone. And so, mm-hmm. for example, when people are auditioning, the panel is usually looking for someone who can provide that kind of stability to the orchestra. And with auditions that are not blind screened, people judge 
based on a person's appearance, it's certainly a different visual when you see a tiny woman or a woman on the smaller side playing the double bass compared to like maybe a six foot tall man playing the bass. I feel like sometimes in orchestral settings, when maybe it's me and the rest of the entire section are guys, it can feel a little bit isolating. Of course, it's not on purpose, but the culture of bass is like very manly. It's something that I hope can be considered in the future. What do you think helps you get through those feelings of isolation? The isolating feeling is less there when there's another woman in the section. We kind of bond over, hey, we're the same. But also <laughs> yeah. I feel like this like isolating male-dominating culture is not present in every single orchestra. Yeah. Well, the way you play, I mean, your sound, it's so strong. It's powerful. Is there anything that goes into how you prepare, you know, as a smaller person, how you train yourself to get such a huge sound out of this giant instrument? I think that for the bass especially, because the spaces in the left hand are bigger than other instruments, you mm -hmm. kind of have to unlock your body physically a lot more in order to get more sound out of the instrument. And so that's why taller people or people with just longer limbs, longer hands might have an easier time playing the bass. For me personally, some kind of small tricks I use to help me with that. I just try to move my body around more. I try to use the motion of my body. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're generating momentum, you're generating force with the mass of your entire body. And um, your technique is flawless. It's You totally transcend size. I have a niece who is 11 years old and has been studying the double bass and I mean I'm going to show her this video of you performing so that she can hear an example of a woman who's really making the bass sound just glorious. You've inspired all of us today and the sound you make is strong and it's nuanced and it's powerful just like you. So um, Jamie thanks again for being with us today it's been really fun to have you. Thank you. Jamie Park, the 18-year-old bassist from Beechwood, Ohio, who is paving the way for female musicians here in the 21st century. Now we get to meet Veronica Pavlovich, a young clarinetist who is exploring the contributions of a pioneering female composer from the 19th century. Veronica, it's great to have you on From the Top. Thank you so much for having me. What piece you're going to perform today? I'm going to be performing the first movement of Clara Schumann's Three Romances, Opus 22. I love this piece. I have never heard it on clarinet before, though, so I'm particularly excited for this. Why did you choose this piece to perform? I had actually heard someone that I know playing it, and it sounded really beautiful. Some of Clara Schumann's piano pieces I felt were like very, very virtuosic, which might have been yeah. a product of the time, maybe with her being a female composer. But I thought this was very simple, very beautiful, and I was super drawn to it. Yeah. And it is a great sort of dialogue between, in your case, the clarinet and the piano. Who do you have joining you on the piano today? I have Nozomi Hudiev. Great. Whenever you two are ready, why don't you take it from the top?
18-year-old clarinetist Veronica Pavlovich from Seattle, Washington, performed the first of Clara Schumann's three romances, and Nozomi Hudiev was at the piano. Veronica, that was just gorgeous. Like I said, I've never heard this piece on the clarinet before, and you've converted me. Your tone is so pure. Your phrasing is so elegant. It, it was really, really lovely. <laughs> Thank you. It's always my goal to convert people to liking the clarinet. Yes, well, it was a success. <laughs> it's particularly exciting to me that you're on the receiving end of the Jack Kent Cook Young Artist Award because I know that you're someone who gives so generously so much of the time. Can you talk a little bit about some of the volunteer work that you do? Yeah, so... When I was growing up, sometimes I had trouble paying for like private lessons and youth orchestra tuition and mm -hmm. accompaniment fees. So it's been a big goal of mine to make sure that other kids who are in a similar situation to me have access to those things. So I've been really into like giving free private lessons when I can. What's a highlight? Yeah, so one I did really recently it was inspired by an assignment for From the Top's Learning and Media Lab Fellowship. We find someone who doesn't know very much about classical music and like maybe wouldn't seek it out, and we plan a concert specifically for them. The person I was doing the one-on-one -on -one concert for was really outdoorsy, and she had said she'd been singing like a couple sea shanties with her outdoors group in mm -hmm. canoes. Mm -hmm. um, so for both this community concert and for From the Top, we took like a short sunrise hike and then when we got to the top, we had our concert, and the concert was like mostly sea shanties, which was really, really fun. <laughs> so did you learn some sea shanties on the clarinet? I did. Nice. Anything to expand the way we experience classical music, get it outside of the concert hall, you know, kind of break down those walls. I love that. Yeah. I'm also noticing how comfortable you seem at the mic, which makes sense because you started a podcast in addition to all of your other entrepreneurial endeavors. Tell me about that. Yeah, so when I was younger, and especially like during the COVID-19 pandemic, I met some people through virtual exchange programs. I found some people who were really interested in climate change and finding like solutions to make it better. And so we started meeting on Zoom. We do a lot of stuff like comparing our different countries and like how the governments handle things differently. And so we talk about that and we record it and make it into a podcast. And these are other teenagers? Yeah. From all different countries. Mm -hmm. Wow. Which means you have to be up at the crack of dawn sometimes, right? Yeah, it usually does end up being at like 4 a.m., which sometimes isn't the most fun, but I am, I am a morning person, so it's not too bad for me. Wow, you've got to be one of the very few 18-year-olds who's like, yeah, I'll wake up at 4 a.m. to work. Uh, but I got to say, I have a sense that your work ethic started even earlier when you found a way to make money to pay for your music training. Yeah, I started working as a soccer referee with my dad, actually. So we would just do a couple of soccer games every weekend, um, and that's how we're able to pay for it. That's just awesome. Um, you're 18 years old. You obviously have tons of passion about all kinds of things w within music and beyond. Such a delight. Great to hear you're playing, Veronica. Thank you so much. 18-year-old clarinetist Veronica Pavlovich from Seattle, Washington. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Cultural Council, a state agency connecting young people with the arts in schools and in their communities. Learn more at massculturalcouncil.org. From BritBox, streaming new and original British series starring Succession's Matthew McFadden and Game of Thrones' Gemma Whalen. Available at BritBox.com NPR.
and from the William T. Grant Foundation, supporting research to improve the lives of young people at wtgrantfdn.org. Welcome back to From the Top. I'm your host, Peter Dugan, and this week we are trying to keep up with a group of young musicians challenging conventions. And one way to do that is to program brand new repertoire. Let's meet cellist Carter Medina, who is passionate about performing music that responds to the world we live in today. Carter, hey, welcome to From the Top. Hi, Peter. Thank you so much for having me. I grew up listening to this show in the car. I love to hear that. (laughs) It's so great to have you as part of our family. It's just a great reminder that you never know who's listening. And right now, Carter, you never know who's listening to you, and it's going to say, hey, I want to play the cello. What have you brought to play for us today? So I'm going to be playing Seven by Andrea Casarubios. And this piece was written to imitate some of the feelings and thoughts that many of us had during the COVID-19 pandemic. It's called Seven because at the end of the piece, you'll hear seven bell sounds to represent the bell that would go through at night, uh, specifically here in New York City. Um, The feeling of isolation really drew me to it. So I'm excited to play it for you guys. I cannot wait to hear this. Whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it from the top.
17-year-old cellist Carter Medina from Kansas City, Missouri, performed Seven, a work for solo cello by Andrea Casarubios. Carter, that was powerful to listen to, and it is the first performance of it on From the Top, a moving performance. I can tell you feel it deeply, and you brought so much to it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the themes in there are very, very close to home for me. It's one of these pieces that uses a little secret, the scordatura tuning, the, right? <laughs> the, the lowest string of the cello is, is tuned down a half step to make it like darker. And, you know, all of our listeners with perfect pitch who are wondering, yes, that was a lower string than the cello <laughs> normally has. Um, what does that do for you as you play it and the cello is making this unusually dark sound? Gosh, I feel like I really got to focus on the frequencies of the cello you're supposed to think of playing this piece in a very dark, big, echoey room. And I feel like I'm able to get to that point more easily because I'm playing with different frequencies. And right. the new frequencies allow me to listen to the cello and the sounds it's making and the way it echoes in my house or wherever I'm playing it. Tell me more about what you've learned about this piece. I mean, you even know the composer, right? You have a personal connection with her. Yes, uh, just yesterday, actually, um, she reached out to me to really discuss what the piece means to her and um, wow. play through and get her ideas out. She reached out to you? Through, through another person, yes. Beethoven never reached out to me. Maybe you misspelled Beethoven's email. No, but um, <laughs> um, yeah, we got that connection, and I'm very grateful for it. Tell me about meeting with her and what you learned. She had a lot to say on the origins of the feeling. We were all in solitude, and with solitude comes thoughts and feelings that maybe we wouldn't have time to really dig into if we had lived our lives just as we did the year before. Right, right. Yeah. There's definitely a haunting quality to that piece. You know, you performed it so beautifully, and you brought the emotion that it needed. Thanks. And when you have that personal connection to the music you're playing, how does that affect the process of learning and performing the piece? I found myself really reflecting on how COVID helped and hurt me because I was going into my teenage years during the pandemic and that definitely had a large impact on my career as a musician and a student musician. What were the pros, what were the cons of those months, I mean, even years? I see it as my turning point in music. I had played cello since I was three years old and it was kind of just a part of who I was. Uh, you know, like, here's my hand, here's my hair, here's my cello. But um, when I had time to really dig into what music means to me and how I can use my music in times where it's really needed, such as COVID, that was really the switch to where I knew I wanted to pursue music. I've, I've heard this concept of a defining catastrophe, and I think COVID was like that for a lot of us. As awful as it was, we discovered things, we learned things about ourselves and about our relationship to music. So I'm glad that it helped cement your dedication to music. It also gave you a chance to find the healing power of music through some teaching that you got into, right? Yes. Just in the middle of COVID, I got really stressed out for my school orchestra. I really did not want those programs to die. Um, so I just took in 
a few students who ever had the time on their hands who still remembered what their instrument was and mm -hmm. um, just gave them little lessons for free. Wow. I think it was a good use of my time when I had so much of it. Just to play music and just to connect with people was just really important at that time. Yeah, for sure. I want to talk a little bit about your relationship with your mom. I know it's a special one and it's really important to you. Yes, of course. My mom, she's always gone above and beyond to make sure I have a really wonderful childhood. I grew up in museums and reading books and just stimulating my mind in so many ways. She wanted us to play an instrument and it was such a beautiful childhood for me. And I'm starting to realize as I get older how much she actually was a part of that. And it was most of it. Mm. And um, now we compare ourselves to like the Gilmore Girls, the show. <laughs> we always like turn to each other and we're like, Gilmore Girls moment. Yeah. We see ourselves bonding the way that they did, which is really special. I know that you're part Mexican and you've participated in camps organized by the Sphinx organization. I, yes. I want to know what was that like and how did it affect your sense of your own cultural identity? That camp was so special to me. It was really the first camp since the pandemic. And mm -hmm. that jump from middle school camps to high school camps was really a shocking one and an important one, I think. When I think of my own playing, I think of that as another landmark for before Sphinx and after Sphinx, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I sort of went into the program a little bit nervous because I didn't think that I really qualified as a part of that heritage. I have the heritage, but I feel like I don't look the part sometimes. So I was really mm -hmm. nervous to go in. And my friends there, which I still have contact with today, we all kind of revealed three or four days into the camp that we all felt the same way. We were kind of like, yeah, I feel like I'm not uh, Mexican enough either, or I don't feel like I have enough heritage in me to be here. And I think that was so beautiful because it really showed all of us that heritage is fluid. And... Um, yeah. Music is obviously a binding factor when you go to camps like that. But we also had the heritage part that we were all getting to know together. It's so interesting to hear you talk about that. And thank you for sharing it. My wife is half Mexican. And um, I know like for her, because she didn't grow up speaking Spanish, I know she's talked about having a similar sort of relationship with her heritage. But I think that you go to a place like that in a way to help get in touch with that part of your identity. Yeah. Carter, it's been such a pleasure, and you've performed and spoken so eloquently. Um, really great to get to know you. Thank you so much. Carter Medina from Kansas City, Missouri, 17 years old. You're listening to From the Top, and I'm pianist Peter Dugan. Did you know that From the Top posts short, beautiful videos of our young musicians every day? The series is called Daily Joy. Treat yourself to youthful inspiration daily. Sign up at fromthetop.org. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering visitors information about the arts, culture, and history of Boston. The journey begins at visitma.com. From Senior Helpers, providing families with personalized in-home care for seniors and those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, and Parkinson's, committed to helping loved ones remain safe and independent at home, at SeniorHelpers.com. And from the Doris Duke Foundation.
Welcome back to From the Top, where outstanding young musicians come to play. I'm your host, Peter Dugan, and I'm so grateful to be here with all of you this week and every week, thanks to the generosity of Susan and Gerald Slavitt. The musicians we're meeting today share not only a passion for their music, but also a bold vision for what they can contribute to our world. Here is Jaheem James, who epitomizes this drive and whose love of his unique instrument is absolutely infectious. Jaheem, welcome to From the Top. You have a massive instrument there with you. What is that? My instrument is a euphonium. It's a Besson Prestige 2052-2 silver plated. I love it. You're a true euphonium nerd. Give our listeners a quick rundown of what is a euphonium. It's a conical instrument. You could say that it could be a tenor tuba because that's what sometimes they call it in Britain, where it usually is played in brass bands. But I would go to say that this is a solo instrument. It plays solos beautifully, and I think that's the main thing that it's made for. What are you going to be performing, and who's with you at the piano? I'm going to be performing Pantomime by Philip Spark, and the piano player is Erico Miller. Anything we should be listening for? I just like the flair and how many different tones and feelings that you can gain from this piece, from the 10-8 or, or just like the very calm 5-4 and then the rush of the end. Great. Whenever you're ready, you two can take it from the top. Great. From the top. <laughs>
That was 18-year-old Jaheem James from Winter Haven, Florida, performing Philip Sparks' pantomime for euphonium and piano. Erico Miller joined him on the piano, and Jaheem is one of our Jack Kent Cooke young artists. Jaheem, you just turned me into a huge fan of the euphonium with that performance. Just stunning. Uh, Tell me how you got started with it. That's actually uh, a very funny story. Back in fourth grade, I went to an art school and at the time I was in dance but my friend was in orchestra so I was like I want to go play an instrument so I put orchestra on my thing and then they put me into the band class and then I was like oh Mm. man I'm in band but I wanted to be in orchestra playing the violin and then Uh they put us through the test your instrument which one do you like the most and I picked up the euphonium and I was like I love this thing it's Mm. not a tuba but it's not a slide. <laughs> right, right. And I heard people play, and I was like, this sounds beautiful. So after that, I kept on playing yeah. until basically the first time I played a solo for an actual audience. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I love this instrument. I want to be on stage in my future playing the euphonium specifically. It just spoke to you. It's crazy that you went in thinking you were going to go for violin at the top register, all the way up in the stratosphere, and then you ended up with this rich baritone sound with the euphonium. Talk to me a little bit about that first solo performance. The solo's name was Believe Me If All Those Endearing Young Charms. It was like an accumulation of everything that I I really loved at the time. I was like, I want to put this in front of people. I want people to be able to be like, you remember that instrument that that one guy played? The euphonium? (laughs) And when I played it, all the audience was clapping and everything that I worked for was just all put into one big cheer slash clap. Yeah. And that just like energized me to be able to, I want to do this again. I want to do this for the rest of my life. I love being on the stage. Yeah. Just the sound of the applause was enough to just fill you up. Yeah. That's so great. I just love picturing that. I remember when I was you know, a teenager and having that feeling for the first time of like the rush that you get after a performance, you know, and then getting that back every time you get to share your music with an audience. It's part of what keeps us going, I think. Yeah. I know that your vision for the music world is one that's more inclusive and that you see the euphonium as an important part of your vision for the future. Everybody knows trumpet, obviously. Everybody knows the violin, obviously, right? But I want to be that Mm. person to be able to have people think about putting a euphonium in their scores, putting a euphonium on stage to solo for people. You want to revolutionize the way people look at the euphonium. You're going to be a pioneer. You already are being a pioneer because you're speaking on national public radio about your love of the euphonium. It's happening. I love it. I believe that euphonium should be treated like trumpet and violin. It, it gets it gets on my nerves sometimes when people say, oh, do you play the French horn? Mm-hmm. Euphonialist means pretty. My instrument literally means pretty sound. I just love it so much. I can tell. I can tell. I play in my garage 
with the doors closed so that I don't disturb everybody. But my neighbors was like, here's a $50 gift card. Would you like to come to our church and like come play for us? He said, if you come to church with your instrument and you come speak to us, we will give you a audience and we will give you a stage. How'd that make you feel? Like I'm starting to get off the ground. Right. And your music is, is making an impact sometimes even when you don't realize it, like people are hearing you and they're loving it. I'm very proud to say that you're a Jack Kent Cooke Young Artist Award recipient. That means that we at From the Top are supporting you on your journey. And you actually just performed on a brand new euphonium, right? Yeah, I love this euphonium. This is basically the best one until I could actually just make my own line. Oh, man, I can't wait until you put out your own line of euphoniums. Another part of your Jack Ken Cook Young Artist Award was that you got to attend an audition, which required you to take your very first flight. Is that right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was to go audition for Eastman. Seeing my dad wave at me, and I was like, oh, my God. I'm going on my own to a whole different state, and I'm going by myself on a plane. Yeah, and with your instrument, no less, right? Yeah. Well, I sat down, but... Every single person was like, shouldn't that be checked? Shouldn't that be checked? I think that's a bit too big. And I was like, it's a fragile instrument. I have a reserved seat for it. I strapped it beside me. It's just sitting on the seat. Sometimes I might get bonked on the head because of how short I am. But (laughs) (laughs) for the most part, it's just chilling there. It's so clear to me that you have this passion around the instrument and that you need to share it with the world. I feel that coming from you. And so I know it's going to happen. Uh, I just know it. And uh, I'm really glad that you got to be on From the Top today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for letting me be here. 18-year-old Jaheem James from Winter Haven, Florida, one of the great young euphonium players. After that exhilarating journey into the unfamiliar world of the euphonium, which Jaheem has fully converted me to, I'm ready to return to my happy place, the piano with our final performer, Isabel Bruning. Isabel, hi. Hi. Welcome to From the Top. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here today. What are you going to play? I'll be playing Rachmaninoff's Etude, Opus 33, Number 1 in F minor. What do you love about playing this piece, or what would you like us to be listening for as you perform it? I really like the sense of drive and mm-hmm. purpose throughout the piece, and I think it's a lot different from what Rachmaninoff is known for in his like lyricism right and this piece is much more focused I like how it's a contrast to the middle section and then it ends with the same sort of ferocity but then it ends it just like tapers off in the end great let's hear this ferocious etude whenever you're ready take it from the top okay
18-year-old pianist Isabel Bruning from Newark, Delaware, performed Rachmaninoff's Etude Tableau, Opus 33, Number 1 in F minor, and Isabel is one of our Jack Kent Cooke young artists. That was ferocious indeed, Isabel. I think that's the word you used to describe it. It was driving, it was rhythmic, it was energizing. I really love the way you played it. Thank you. We can nerd out for a moment as pianists. Tell me about how you approach all of those driving left-hand octaves throughout the piece. What kind of work do you do to practice that? I feel like I play a lot of octaves in my repertoire. I like to practice just the pinky before putting them together. Nice. Do you ever practice just the thumb too? Yeah, sometimes. But I feel like the pinky is harder to get the right weight into it. Yeah. Um, You just had a really exciting concert opportunity recently. Yeah, I had my first time playing a concerto with an orchestra in November. Wow. What, what did you play? Who did you play with? I played the first movement of Grieg's Piano Concerto with the Wilmington Community Orchestra. Oh, that is one of my favorite pieces, and that must have just been such a thrill to be up in front of the orchestra playing that epic piece. It was really surreal just being a part of something so huge and feeling so many people playing with me. Mm-hmm. It just felt like I'd stepped into a concert that I was listening to. That's the best. You went to Italy not long ago. Did you have a favorite spot? Probably Florence. I'm really into history, so seeing the Duomo and all the Renaissance artworks was just really special. I actually heard that your love of history and ancient cultures is maybe going to be involved in what you're studying next year in college. Um, So I'm going to Princeton University, and I'm not sure what I'm going to be majoring in yet, Mm -hmm. but I know I'm doing a minor in archaeology as well as piano performance. Wow. Congratulations, first of all, in Princeton. Thank you. Um, Where did your passion for archaeology begin? My whole life. Um, My mom bought me a lot of ancient world history books when Mm -hmm. I was really little, and I just grew up like reading them over and over again. We also travel a lot, so we went to a lot of museums where we'd see ancient artifacts, and it's just always been something I really loved. Nice. Before you go... A big congratulations for being one of our Jack Ken Cook Young Artists. Thank you. Uh, what do you plan to do with the award, or have you already put the award towards something? Um, I'm going to a summer music festival. It's called Borromeo, and it's in Switzerland, in the Alps. Wow. It's going to be beautiful, and we are so happy to be supporting your musical studies. Uh, congratulations again. And just a stunning performance of that, Rachmaninoff. Thank you. Isabel Bruning, 18 years old, from Newark, Delaware. Wow, these musicians we've had today, just unstoppable. They've left me feeling humbled and inspired. Thank you to all of them for their performances, for their great stories, and thanks to all of you for listening. I'm your host, Peter Dugan. Please join me next week for more glorious music here on From the Top. Thanks to all of the sound engineers who worked on today's program, Gene Nimirovsky and Max LeBien at WFMT in Chicago, Ron Haidt at Common Tone Arts in Seattle, Washington, Bob Beck at University of Missouri-Kansas City Conservatory in Kansas City, Liam Kreos at Valencia College in Orlando, Florida, and Kevin Carrillo at Sound on Sound Studios in Montclair, New Jersey. 
From the Top is produced by Megan Swan and Abigail Desser. Sound design and music editing by John Escobar with editing and mastering by Rodrigo Cuenca. Our production manager is Amanda Roth. From the Top's executive director is Gretchen Nielsen. From the Top is an independent nonprofit organization based in Boston. If you'd like to appear on our program, apply online at fromthetop.org. From the Top is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation, providing scholarships to high-achieving students with financial need, jkcf.org. From Dignity Memorial, helping families plan life celebrations now so their loved ones are protected later, because nobody should have to plan for a loss while they're experiencing one. Learn more at dignitymemorial.com. And from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation at rwjf.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You know, while From the Top is distributed by NPR, it isn't owned by NPR. It's an independent nonprofit, and so we have to do our own fundraising to make it happen. Please consider making a donation to our ongoing entertainment and education programs at fromthetop.org.